I have Tabitha, a photographer born in South Sudan and currently living here in the U.S. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. I'm very excited here to talk with you. and Thank you so much for coming on. You know, I saw that Instagram post in your story. I was like, I need to get her on. Let me send her this email. Hopefully she responds. Oh, thank you. I know. I saw the email. I was like, sure. I don't, I always love to share my story, you know, hoping to inspire someone out there. Life is, it's not always what you expected, but you just take it. So I don't know if, if, if I'm inspiring others or I'm just, you know, I like to, I feel like I have to open my mouth, you know, like let people mm-hmm. hear because, yeah. Because a lot of people, like, I'll be honest, I haven't met someone from South today and I feel like I'm decently well-traveled and like I've met some people. Yeah. Oh, wow. There's a lot of Sudanese, actually, even in Boston. Mm-hmm. That's what's crazy. Um, they're all over. Because <laughs> let's start by reviewing where you were born and then where you currently live. So I was born in South Sudan. Well, it used to be Sudan. And, um, and after this was 20, not 20, 29 years ago. So there was a civil war in Sudan and we had to move. We had to you know, run away and go to Kenya. Um, so I really don't know much about Sudan because we ran while I was I was a baby. Um, I was an infant and I lost both of my parents through that process of leaving Sudan to come to Kenya. Um, so my dad first and then my mom um, while we were in the middle of jungle, you know, trying to find our way out of our village. Um, I have no idea what my parents look like, but... Um, by my my aunt took care of me, like my mother sister took me since birth, and she's been taking care of me until I landed in the U.S. So we moved to Kenya. We went to Kenya, and where there in Kenya was a refugee camp called Kakuma Kakuma Refugee Camp. It's in Kenya, and it had a bunch of Sudanese, Somalian, all type. This was maybe '94. I don't really know the dates, but we were there. For a long time until um, the Congress passed a law to bring um, a group of girls and boys called the Lost Boys and Lost Girls of South Sudan. Well, of Sudan. <laughs> then I keep on saying South Sudan because like I'm so used to it now. But again, Sudan used to be one big country and then it was divided. And in 2011, we got our, they divided the country. It was election, you know, the vote, people voted and they wanted, they wanted, the Southerners wanted the division. Um, so now we are, I think we're still the youngest country, youngest nation. So with all of that in in Kakuma refugee camp in Kenya, it was literally home for me because that's all I know. That's when I my childhood kind of developed. Uh, and we were in a community where with a bunch of cousins because we migrate together. We all left together. And so the UN built this community of just putting families together, like there's a tree and then there's like huts around it, like a circle. Um, so I lived there with my cousins and, but my aunt was my main, she was my mother. She took care of me the, the all, all the way. Um, with my, with living there, I had the best time. Oh my gosh, it was just, I didn't think I was living in a refugee camp until I landed in the US. Uh, so, so my aunt told me one time that, we're going to go to America. And I'm like, what is that? Cause I have no idea. Like, like America. Um, and then like literally the next day we had to, we had to leave and 
we landed in America <laughs> and what's the process um, coming to America and landing in Mississippi. Um, I had no idea what Mississippi is, the state of Mississippi even. And at the airport, I remember some lady welcoming me and she took me from her, from my, from my aunt and uncle. And I was like, where am I going? And then, so the adults were placed at a group home and the kids that were, I was nine. So I was put into, I was in the system like foster care. And that was it. That was literally from that day at the airport, that was my life changed. And I'm like, I'm with these strangers that I've never met. I didn't even know. I don't, I didn't watch TV. So I don't know what a, the people in America look like actually. Um, but, but what's funny is like, when I hear about America, I just thought the people here were all white. I didn't expect people to be brown. I thought Africa was the only land that had brown people uh, or Kenya or wherever I was located. So I'm picked up by this African-American woman and she's like, I'm going to be your mom. And I'm like, what? Um, so I remember it was December 5th. I don't remember that my aunt told me it was December 5th. And it was, that's the day that we land. And few days later it snowed in Mississippi which never snowed and I was like what is this white stuff <laughs> it was um but then I was still like thinking where's my aunt where's my uncle where is everyone that looked like me you know um so I wait can I ask how old were you I guess when you first landed in Mississippi it's nine yeah I was nine so I'm like where am I I'm just I was really confused. So when I saw this now, I was like, okay, something, we're not in Africa, of course. Um, so then I started asking questions, which my English was not really there, but I was like, where's my aunt? I think I was pointing on my skin, like, <laughs> you know, um, and I think I've watched, I was watching TV and I finally, I see like, I think I learned the word mom or aunt or something this is like the first month of landing year and i was like i'm ready to be with my aunt and um and i remember i ran away one night <laughs> and this is in foster in my documents i'm the runaway child because oh, yeah because i wanted to go back to kakuma where i was loved and family was all around me and so after that i was moved to another home so this whole process of foster it's so confusing. So when you're a refugee, you cannot be adopted. You have to be fostered until you're 21. And so I had a long way, a very long way. So I literally moved to six different homes. I would until, but I was thinking I was going to be with my aunt every time they moved me. I was like literally was like I don't like this house, this and this. And then at the end, they will not put me with my aunt because my aunt actually she was. She was almost 21, so she will she had to work, and then come in from a different country and have to find a job. Like it's not the nicest job that she could have, you know. So they she would not be able to take care of me, and I was a part of the DHS Department of Human Service. So this is mean the state is I'm like owned by the state literally. So I can't even just leave and go anywhere. The state have to make, like, I have to ask 
they have to ask a court order to go see my aunt and all of this stuff. Like I was like, it was, it was BS, sorry. But I was able to see my aunt through this, like at church or gathering. And then my uncle used to come visit at, at all the homes that I was in. And, you know, they always, they called me, of course, and they wanted, they say, you need to speak, you know, our language all the time. They would speak to me my language, so I wouldn't forget it. And then finally, actually, there, my aunt ESL teacher, English as a second language teacher, took me in. This was like the final, like, this is like, wow. This, cause she, keep, she kept on hearing from my aunt that my niece is being moved around, you know, and she's not really staying at the right place, you know. So you're supposed to be, you come to this country and I don't know the language and I'm just moving every, every six months or every year I was moving to a new home. Because foster care, oh my God, it's the worst. Is it all like within the same state? Like were you within one place in the U.S.? Yeah, it was in Mississippi, Jackson, but it was within like, you know, the counties in Jackson. Jackson yeah. is the city, um, but it was just, some of them were terrible. Like I'm just, I've never, foster care, it's not the right people that take it. There's a lot of people that do it for money, you know, and it's really sad. And then I remember one of my friends, she was at a house. They would not even let her touch the fridge or the anything because supposedly we have disease, you know, like that's how, oh that's how ignorant these people were at the beginning, you know? So I remember I was with this lady and the lady had a lot of foster kids. So they, they put me to my best friend house that she was living in. And this is my best friend that I, she was the same age as me and she came from Kakuma as well. And we were put in the same school. Um, so somehow there was like, oh, let's take her over there. And her, the house that she stayed in was terrible. Oh my goodness. I, mean, I was like, what? You can't touch the refrigerator. And I remember she and I got into a fight with their 16 year old son. And the, and the boy knocked me out, you know, like how you were like in the, we were pushing the door, trying to not let him come in. And I remember he knocked me out. And I think after that, I was like, I packed, I packed my bag. I, I was like, it's time. Let's go. Yeah, <laughs> and this is like, we we're 10, 11 ish, you know, and, and I start walking and then of course they call and they came and took us out in that house that second, you know, and took us somewhere else. So, I mean, it was just, I don't know, my life in Mississippi, it was rough for like the first six years. And then, like I said, it got better when I, when my aunt ESL teacher took me in, that was when I finally saw a life in a family and they had to catch up. I had to catch up so much with school, you know, like I was so behind when I when I came to this country, I did not know how to spell my name. You know, like I remember I would, I would do a T-A-B-T-H-A. I would not put the I because I, I had no idea. Like, because back in Kakuma, I was not called Tabitha. I was called by my Sudanese name. Um, but actually Tabitha is my Christian name. So it was given to me by my family, my uncles, when I got baptized. So in South Sudan, like Sudanese, we are, I'm, we're Episcopalian and back there we were still, we were Episcopalian. And so when you get baptized, I don't know who came up with the idea when you get baptized, you have to get a new name. It's kind of like the rebirth, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so when I finally came, they used that name Tabitha as my first name and then my real name as my middle name. So, and it was easy for them to pronounce, of course. Um, so having to spell Tabitha was crazy. 
<laughs> and so not knowing how to spell your name and having to catch up, you know, to be able to read, to be able to like finish high school, you know, it was tough. And, but my foster parents, I remember they really, cause since she was an ESL teacher, she knew exactly what to do. I mean, my every second, even now when I talk to her on the phone, she's correcting me on my English. <laughs> I, I did a lot of catch up and, you know, and these, my foster parents today, they're not even foster parents. They were just, they were my, I don't know. God just gave, was like, this little girl need help. And you are, these people are the right people for me. And I don't think I will have the life that I had today if I didn't move in with them. So sometimes I said like, you know what, foster care, foster system was shitty. But, you know, at the end of the day, I'm like, it's actually, you know, I've learned so much from each of the homes that I went to um, and just seeing seeing America in a, in like so many different eyes. You know, I've been with all type of people, black, black, white, you know, Jamaican. I remember I lived with this Jamaican lady. It was so fun. She made the best food ever. <laughs> it was so <laughs> yummy. That, that felt like home when they put me in with her because it was like they kind of, you know, the food, they have the curry, kind of like Sudanese. We do a lot yeah. of Okay, I'm Jamaican, so I'm I'm loving this. Oh my god! Oh my, I remember that lady so much. But again, she had too many kids at her house, so we had to be moved mm. out. But I did not want to leave her house because it was so good. <laughs> um, but she made the best food, and I I love that lady. But and this is in Mississippi, you know, like there's just so many type of people that I've got to lived with, seen, and get to hear their stories, you know, with all the catch up, you know, I was able to finish high school and go to a community college. I, um, actually I finished my community college in Virginia in Nova. Um, and what's crazy is Biden, uh, Joe Biden wife taught there the year while I was there, Dr. Biden. So I was like, that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so yeah, that's pretty much. So I got married. Actually, my husband is a lost boy. I don't know. If you heard of the Lost Boys and Lost Girls, have you heard their stories before? So you mentioned it earlier, Rock. You wanted you to elaborate more. Was it like a government program on the U.S.'s side? Like yes, okay. yes, yes. It was, and it was signed by Clinton, and it was a bill, you know, and to bring us back in Kenya, the UN was the one feeding us, you know. So somehow, the UN told them, I guess, to like, there's these kids, you know, they need um. They need to get out of here because it was, you know, a lot of, a lot of the lost boys, they were all, a lot of them didn't have parents, you know, they ran away so young and, you know, and a lot of them didn't have families. Like my aunt and uncle, they were young. It was a bunch, it was a bunch of young people at this refugee camp. I mean, there were families, but it was mainly young kids, you know, and they just needed a better life. And, you know, I mean, they did like just hearing stories now in the U.S. with some of the lost boys, you know. Um, my husband is a lost boy. He was older. He was 16 when he came. And um, and he was able to, you know, go to college. And, and now we have this life, you know, because of, you know, a, a life that we would have never had at, at the refugee camp, you know. Exactly. I want to ask, with the such a young population in the refugee camp, like, how was the education access? Well, and that's the problem. They, my husband told me there there were schools, and and the schools were, but 
I don't know. I went to, I think I went to like a preschool and like they just taught us ABCs. But like my my husband knew when he came here, he said he did well at school, actually, because he said it was easy. So somehow they had, year was easy. He was like, they knew like all the math and all of that, maybe like English. That's what they needed help on because he went to school, you know. So it was like some of these people came without English, but they were able to like do the math like in a second you know and 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 people were amazed was like how do they know that and they can't even speak english but somehow you know education um but again guys boys and well men and boys in africa in in south sudan have the opportunity to go to school you know they are more to get educated than girls so that's another so there were some girls but they did not end up finishing schools you know or they didn't go to school every day because again you live in a refugee camp a, a guy can just a boy can just wake up and go to school there's the girl has to cook and do things and clean, you know like that even if the school is provided by the un there's still stuff back home that pushed them back from getting the right education. Um, and the same thing, like there's a lot of lost girls that came, there were 89 of us, there's like, there were more boys, but there were only 89 girls. And and I actually, I've been wanting to do something to share their stories. I wanna hear their stories because it was not all the same, you know? Um, so that's, I'm not quite, I'm trying to, I'm struggling right now raising my kids, but I would love to hear their stories. Uh, because everyone's story is so different, but um, but the girls especially, I feel like their stories were never heard. There's a bunch of documentaries about lost boys. Um, just Google it; you will find a bunch of them. But there's never the lost girls because a lot of them came and got married. Because again, South Sudan, Sudanese, you know, in Africa, most likely girls you turn a certain age and you get married, and that's it. You know, that's your life. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that, but um, you know, that's what they have to deal with. Um, but again, South Sudan is getting their life together, kind of, so back home. So it's looking more promising for people to go back home now. Um, there's not a war going on. Um, and since the country was divided, we've had our own civil war within each other with, with ourselves. It was not just Arabs and Christian war fighting anymore. It was just now us. Um, and that's the greed, you know, of, of like oil and gas, you know, there's oil is huge there and government that never really was developed, you know, it's just a military government, actually, it's not really, uh, so there's still a lot of problem that no one can really solve in South Sudan. And, and it's sad because like some of us, we would love to go back, but then you can't really find jobs to live off, you know, um, mm -hmm. to be able to help. And so now all we can do is like send money, send, send money to our family members that are living in Kenya, Uganda. There's a bunch of Sudanese in Kenya. Literally, we've taken over Kenya and Uganda um, because our country is just not, it's not, it's not really livable. I mean, there are people living there, but yeah, I would love to go back though. Yes, with your entry with the, into the U.S., like on top of the administrative challenges you had in the refugee, as a refugee and in the foster care system, like what were some of the social challenges? I know the black experience here in the U.S. isn't easy and now you're adding being a refugee woman on top of that. So I guess, how was that? Um, well, at the beginning, I didn't, I didn't get it. Why 
black, you know, I didn't understand African-Americans mm-hmm. or black people. But as an adult, it's, I think the second I got out of high school and, you know, I'm like, it's really hard being black, no matter how black, no matter how, where you're from, even if you're from Africa, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but even it's even sad because like I've ha- I have friends that are like, oh, you're not black, you know, you're African black. And I'm like, really? I'm still black. You know, at the end of the day, I'm still black. And we all, like, if a cop stop us, he's like, oh, you're from Africa, you can go. No. That's not happening. <laughs> yeah, so this is, um, but I feel I feel like African-Americans have done so much, or black Americans have done so much for this country. And, and I'm waiting for that day that, you know, they will be accepted and have equ- equality, you know, within all, uh, I mean, but now we have a vice president, so that's kind of awesome. And right. and Obama, and then actually growing up in Mississippi, oh my God, I remember Obama being elected, and I'm in a class, and kids are crying because Obama is the president, you know. And this is like, oh, I'm gonna, my dad is gonna lose his job, and I'm like, what do you mean? Like he's not, right. you know? Like the life, like it felt like a the world was ending for a lot of, and these are like white kids, you know, not black kids. Us black kids were so excited. It was, it was, it was, it was a relief for us. We're so excited finally. But so when it comes to race and everything that is going on, it's really, it's a lot. But us African, we have to remember, we have to give the respect to these African Americans or black Americans. And because they, we are a year because of them, you know, they built this country. Um, so I have a lot of respect for black people in this country and yeah. And race wise. But then again, now as a mom and I have two boys with all that was happening in George Floyd, you know, I live in Houston. Um, I'm like afraid every day, like when my husband is driving with the boys, you know, I'm like, Oh, where are you? You know, that's just a thing I will forever worry because it's not it's not okay for a black person and a black man to drive or a black boy. So it's just I don't know. I just see it. I don't know what's gonna change this country, but I just hope they we need to be seen as humans because so I don't see myself as African. I see myself as black and I'm here. You know, we all live in this country and we all pay tax, you know, (laughs) that's what I'm like. We pay tax and you don't see us as real people. Like, come on. Uh, Yeah. So um, I don't know if that answered the question, but um, came to building your life and, you know, establishing your independence. How did you choose like where you wanted to settle down? I know you mentioned moving around a lot, Mississippi, Nova, Houston. How did all those decisions come about and like what influenced them? Yeah, well, it's not really me. It's my husband. So my husband mm-hmm. went, my husband got his first job and he moved to Mississippi and we met him in Mississippi and Jackson because all the Sudanese kind of know each other. And so, and then when he got his job, we, this, we got married and then he got up he decided let's move to dc he got another he got another job in dc for the government um he works for bets he works for uh, department of interior um so that kind of 
that's going to guide my life right now. So we moved and I always loved the DC area, which I was like, yay. I used to visit it. My foster mom is from Maryland. So when my husband was like, yeah, we're going to move to DC area. I'm like, yes, please. Cause I wanted to get out of Mississippi and I didn't honestly getting out of Mississippi was the best thing because moving to DC, I was not just that immigrant or I was not just that different girl. I was not that just different person. I was, I just matched in, you know, and living, we lived in DC for a little bit. And then we moved to Alexandria, Virginia, which is just Africans everywhere. You know, um, if you've never been there, but trust me, it's African town. Yes. So we lived in Alexandria and I love it. And I had both of my boys there and, and then we finally, I mean, you know, the DC area is so expensive and I miss the Southern, the Southern living. And I was like, I want a house with a backyard, you know, like you, <laughs> I was like, I can't get that in DC area. And so my husband, since he works with department of interiors, oil and gas. So Houston is the, it's another big city and they have an office here. I'm like, let's move to Houston. And then I will be closer to Mississippi so I can drive and go see my, my friends, you know, closer to home. But honestly, since we moved here, I kind of, I want to move back to Virginia. <laughs> like, I'm like, when you want something, and then I was like, I really love living in Virginia. I just thought it was, there's a lot to do um, with my kids. And I met so many different families from all over the world. Um, I remember we used to go to like li this library. This is in Alexandria, Virginia. And it's on Duke Street. And there's the library. They had a story time. And the story time, all the moms were from different countries. And, like, I remember we'll have play dates. And we'll all bring in little food from our countries. And i just like, wow. And, um, and, just, and now, like, our kids, my oldest is eight. And, those, and now Dang is my son, Dang, is connect. I feel like he's connected to learning about he's a history like he's obsessed with history and countries you know and I'm like that was he was literally born into that being getting to know like at six months he was at the library with these kids speaking a different language um so how my life is just moved around in different areas I don't know I just felt like I don't know now it doesn't matter because it's my kids that really it's my kid's choice, but then I also think about I should we should have stayed in D.C. because of, of the culture and my children needs that. You know, I don't want my kids to feel different. But also where we live now, uh, Fort Bend County is very, is very like there's so many there's a lot of kids. Actually, my son has a a, a student from South from Sudan from Darfur, and I'm like that is interesting. Like that's rare. Even when. <laughs> You wouldn't have, even in Virginia, I don't know if we would have had a student from Sudan. But so he has a student from Darfur and she lives in my neighborhood. So I'm like, okay, this, where we live is getting very diverse. And, and that's another thing we moved here. Houston is going to become the biggest, it's going to, it's very diverse. And so we, we might stay here for a while. <laughs> so it's up in the air, but it seems like everything's still driven by family, wanting to be close with your family and, you know, wanting the best for your family. Yeah, and my aunt lives in Dallas. I forgot about that. Yeah, my aunt lived in Dallas. That's why we moved to Texas too. Um, so yeah, I'm all about now. It's all about family. I like not having my mom and dad growing up. You know, I just family is so important to me. Like I feel like I have to be like this is my life now. I felt like my parents did not get to live this life. You know, they their life was cut so short. So 
I'm just living my life every moment and enjoying it with my family, people that I love, you know? Because um, mm. honestly, I feel like life is short. You just don't know if you're going to be here tomorrow. That's well said. Something I want to go off of is sort of the lost boy, lost girl generation. I know your husband's one, but are, are you all kind of connected? Do you all try to stay connected? Like, do you know what some of them are up to? Like, were you guys kind of in a cohort at all? Or once you got here, was, did the U.S. kind of just let it happen? They are very together. Oh, my God. Uh, Sudanese, we they all stayed connected. Um, as for me, since I was in the foster system, I was not around that many Sudanese for a while. I will go. I would see them once in a while. So what's crazy when I got married and we moved to DC, I was finally around Sudanese. Like the food, like I remember, I missed the food, the Sudanese food. So Sudanese are really so in DC. There were a big community. The church was full, you know, of my own people, everyone speaking the same language. And uh, because Mississippi didn't have that many Sudanese, it was like a few and we kind of knew each other. But like moving from maybe 15 Sudanese to like almost 100 or 200 Sudanese, it was a big change. And this is all Lost Boys too. A lot of them were living in different states, but they moved to the DC area, you know, to get jobs, better jobs. And so, um, yeah, Sudanese are very together. And now in Houston, we have a good group of community of the Lost Boys and their families that are here. Uh, so I remember I, like, I just wanted to be around Sudanese so much. But now I'm around them all the time that I kind of don't want to be around them. I'm just kidding. But <laughs> um, it, yeah, so and then having to relearn. I know the I know our language. So but like they 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 think I have an accent when I speak it. So that really bothers me because I was like, oh, I can't hear you. So, um, so yeah, there's a large, there's so many Sudanese and we all kind of stay together. They did. And then I'm kind of coming back in since I was in foster system. So, yeah. Well, that's good that there's a diaspora and that you guys get to engage with one another. Because are there like Sudanese restaurants or like an emergence of the foods getting more popular or? Not really. Not restaurant-wise, no. But Ethiopian food is the closest food. That's we enjoy Ethiopian food. Um, but like, like I said, a lot of us, I don't know. I haven't. There are in some other states that they have South Sudanese restaurants, but I'm not sure where they didn't have one in D.C. or in Texas where I am right now. But uh, I mean, it would be nice if there's one, but I don't know. Sudanese are not driven like that, like like Ethiopians. I just love Ethiopians, how they come here and they just are hustling, you know, doing whatever they can to, you know, to change their lives. Um, but yeah, if I could cook Sudanese food, I will honestly open one. <laughs> but I just don't. I watch a lot of YouTube on it, though. But, you know, like people now make shows on, on YouTube. So there are a lot of Sudanese that are, cooking in their homes and posting them on YouTube. So that's kind of, that's my joy of Sudanese food. <laughs> uh, it, it, it's something that's growing. You get a little taste of it. So with that, like, do you have any family or connections back home in either Sudan or Kenya at all? Or is like everyone in the U.S. at this point? Oh, yeah, I do. Now, um, I have aunties. My, my, my mother sisters live there uh and then my husband whole family they live in kenya i mean we have cousins everywhere you know so we help them a lot um so yeah it's 
Sudanese, we all stay connected, no matter where you go. Like you, <laughs> you know your cousin. They call you every other day. I'm like, I'm your cousin, and I'm like, what? Because it's been 20 years, literally, since I've been in this country. So I'm, I don't remember a lot back home. But uh, they make sure I do. They call me. It's like, I remember you. And I'm like, okay. And these, you know. Um, so, yeah, we keep in contact. And then Facebook now with Facebook, there's people, you know, it just makes it easier to communicate and WhatsApp and all of that. Okay. So, so very connected. So my next question is, like, you mentioned being here in the U.S. for 20 years. I guess, how have you seen things here in the U.S. change? You've grown up here and things have, obviously, you view the world in a different way, but... I guess, how, how has the country changed? Has it become more friendly towards immigrants, less friendly towards immigrants, culturally aware? Um, I don't think this country, well, culture aware, maybe social media have helped it. Like it's, I feel like social media is letting everyone in into people's lives and homes. That That's the, the only thing I've noticed. Facebook, social media is the only thing changing America in a way. Just, not just, not culture-wise, even immigrants, but just, everything social you know political everything that's the only way that i've seen it change but uh again but then again look we have i think before like political stuff until i I could vote i remember obama's second term was the first time i was able to vote and i think that opened my eyes being able to vote and seeing your vote count you know because coming from a country south sudan where people don't vote really you know people just become leaders for 30 years you know um so i do see like when i start voting i start seeing changes in a way i'm like oh actually my vote makes a difference you know and then also i was like i paid money to become a citizen i need to start voting so i can see something um so i mean and then this time around too i just i was amazed by this country about how many people that went to vote you know but but it's sad that a person like that man had to let us see, you know, like what was happening in this country. Why did he have to show us that? Why didn't we not show up when Hillary was running too, you know? Um, so those kind of things. I'm like, yeah, America is changing. I think Trump changed America in a way. <laughs> like we're seeing things in a different, we know more things about what happens in the government, you know, than we knew before. But otherwise, when it comes to culture, people accepting others, I still feel like, mm, again, social media, people, oh, that is kind of cool, you know, like, but people have to really come to your home and be in your space for them to understand different cultures and eat your food or hear your story, you know, when they don't hear your story or or don't know you they they have no idea they just see you as some different person you know um and that's what I have to teach my son now like he's eight you know I'm like there's everyone have their own stories everyone have their own background and you just you have to give them this the chance to listen to them don't judge them by what they look like by what they said even you just have to really get to know them it's a very important lesson to teach I guess off of that, like, is there anything I guess particularly difficult, you know, you know, raising a children? It's in a culture like yours. It's it's your own. You grew up here, but it's not exactly your own. But do you like try to, you know, like teach them the language? 
yes, we, I don't want to push them. Well, I don't want to push my kids to like you, because I, I, I don't know how to read Dinka. This is, this is our native language. I don't know how to read it. And I have difficulties really speaking it. I, I understand it very well and I do speak it, but I'm like, now my eight-year-olds, my husband and I speak Dinka now, um, but he's starting to ask, what are you saying? You know, they're starting to catch on to words. So I want my child to want to learn. I'm not a person to like push them, you know, because uh, I don't know. It's good to have this. It's amazing for kids to know a second language, you know, but also I like I'm all about when I want my kids to ask me, hey, can I learn about something instead of me just throwing it in their throat, you know, and because I know a lot of Sudanese kids that that barely speak, you know, because at home they're pushing them to speak our language. But then when they have to go to school, that's a struggle, by the way, because they now they have to put them in ESL. And these kids were born in this country. I don't know when it comes to Sudanese kids the language barrier just, it takes them a long time to catch on to English, you know? And so, and then also I read English books to my children and I'm like, this is what you're going to learn when you go to school. Being Sudanese, my kids will always be Sudanese. They always around Sudanese. They will learn the language, you know, and they are learning the language. Uh, we will, our we were supposed to go to Africa this summer and stay there for two months just for the kids to be around and learn the language. That's a, that's a fun way for them to learn instead of just pushing them to learn. Right. Um, being there. So the goal is every summer we want to go there. I'm a teacher. I teach. So I have free time during the summer to be around, to go to Africa and just live there for two months. And I want my kids to see the life that we came from. You know, we didn't come from this life that we have today. There's kids, you know, that don't have this much clothes in their closet or shoes, you know, um, actually, I would love for them to go to the, the refugee camp that we came from. That would just be amazing. Just being there for like a month. And maybe my son can tutor, teach at one of the schools, you know, to help. You know, there's just so much that we want to do. And then other ways than trying to teach my kids this language, language they can give back to. But then also we thought about letting my son learn Spanish because everything here in Texas is literally Spanish. Um like all his friends speak Spanish and and I was like, why not Spanish? I feel like Spanish is gonna take over like in thirty years from now, everyone will be speaking in Spanish. So you you try to tie them in with the culture in other ways, like, you know, immersion, there's around Sudanese people, you wanted to bring them back. Yes. Yes. As long as they are around Sudanese, they will get the language. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. As they get older, are they curious about your upbringing with you and your husband at all? Or I guess, have you provided them insight? Or are you going to wait till they're a little older? So that's another thing. We we talk about those things to them, you know. Um, well, my, my eight-year-old, I think, is more... I have a six-year-old and a three-year-old. But, um, like, my three-year-old was like, Daddy, your mom is in Kenya, <laughs> you know. So they know, um, they know a little bit of everything, kind of. So not really like later on. I, I'm all about like teach them now a little bit, little bit by now until, you know, we don't really, I don't try to hide anything from my kids. Um, just, you know, if they can hear it, they can. And then we have a lot of books that tell stories about um, just any books about kids, you know, black kids stories or immigrant stories, you know. 
And I think it's very beneficial to get those stories, especially here in the U.S., a country that's, you know, built on immigrants. Yes, yes, yes. You've lived quite a life and you've built a lot for yourself, but what advice would you offer to a young refugee arriving in the U.S. for the first time? This country, it's amazing. You could do a lot. You can you can become who you never expected to be, honestly. And I never thought I will have the life that I have today. But it's all hard work and the right people around you. Um, I always say that build build a community, you know, of people that will help you, not just help you, but push you and encourage you and just kind of, I don't know, I was just put with the right people. And honestly, this country, you could become, you could be around the wrong people and your life would change for the worse or be with these amazing people that will help you but again, I always tell people, be around people that you learn something from, you gain, you know, instead of, I'm always all for gaining, not for losing. So just, yeah, just open your eyes and really, you could be who you want to be. It just takes time. Well, thank you for sharing that. I, I, I think anyone can take away a lot from that. You just need to you know, put in the work and put yourself in the right in the right environment this country honestly like i'm i'm so there's some bads you know there's 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 a lot of bad things in this country but there's a lot of goods you can get out of it you know just the just the opportunity to to even have a job you know just when you can get a job at mcdonald's that's a job that will pay you something you know in south sudan you can't even find a job to just pay you every so in this country, as long as you can have a job and go to school, that's all. That's all you exactly. need to succeed. So we're coming up on the end of the interview, and I'm going to ask you a question that I ask every guest. And I know you touched on this a little bit earlier, but is your migration journey over? Is the U.S. home for now? Or do you ever imagine going back home to Kenya or Sudan? U.S. is always will be home, but... Um, Today I was talking to my husband. Um, there's my neighbors. She's like really old, you know. And I and I think about it, like, will that be me, you know? And she just lost her husband like this year. I'm like, I would love to go back to Sudan in the village, and that's where I want to die. Really, I don't want to be at a nursing home at ninety or eighty five. Really, so. I will tell my kids, please <laughs> take me at like 75. When I hit 70, I, honestly, or even before that, I would love to just go back to the hometown, like the village, not even Kenya, where there's just the village and live in a hut and guard, garden, you know, my food. So America, if I'm healthy, that's another thing. If I'm well and healthy, I wouldn't mind going back home and living in the village. But if I need some medical work and stuff like that, you know, I'm... <laughs> I might come back here because I don't trust that. You know, I don't know if they have hospitals in the village back in my hometown. So, okay, I totally get it, and hopefully your kids get the message. Maybe you can save the podcast for them to listen back to. Oh yes, they are so taking me back. Yeah, we're definitely <laughs> yes. Well, Tabitha, thank you so much for sharing your story and your journey. It's been really inspiring, and I've learned a lot from it and from you. Thank you so much, Aiden. Thank you for the opportunity and thank you for this podcast for, I mean, I love listening to the stories already. Um, but yeah, thank you.
hope you all got a lot from that because Tabitha's story is very inspiring and it's real and it's an ongoing problem. There are children who are just like Tabitha that may not be afforded the same opportunities today, but I hope it elucidates the reality of life and the impact that conflict across the world can have. But we'll see how this goes on as time evolves, because actually in 2016, Kenya did announce that it intended to close the Kakuma camp, which is one of the largest in the country. While the international community did step in and some governing bodies did, you know, make their points heard, it has yet to happen and there are still precipitating effects right now. Like On top of the pressure from the Kenyan government, like the impacts of COVID-19 are very, very, very impactful for refugees. They're in small quarters, they have inadequate access to health professionals, it's, it's a dire problem. So I'll be sure to update you all on the situation, so stay posted to our pages. That said, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at PushPullFactor. You can visit our website, PushPullFactor.com. Please like, subscribe, or leave a review wherever you get your favorite podcast. It helps more than you know, and you can even get a shout-out on the podcast, like Dr. Who-Man, who said, and I quote, very informative about the world around us. Thank you so much, Dr. Who-Man, for the shout-out. Thank you so much, everybody, and have a good one.